0: everyone and welcome to another episode of Paddock Chat, a West Midlands Group original podcast created to keep local growers in the loop without having to leave the paddock. My name is Erin O'Brien and I'm the Beef Industry Development Officer at the West Midlands Group. This episode is part two of previous communications officer Kira Holly and I's feed budgeting discussion with local producer Murray Gray, where he talks about how feed budgeting has improved his productivity whilst also minimising his impact on the land. The information provided in this podcast is general in nature and may not be wholly appropriate for your purposes or situation. We recommend that you seek appropriate professional advice before implementing actions based on the information provided in this podcast. This conversation was recorded in May 2021.
1: So going back to seeding those annuals between your perennials, what row spacings are you working with there?
2: So the the perennials were sown at half metre row spacings. The winter annuals are going in at nine-inch yep. spacings, 225 mil for the younger audience. Uh, What's an inch? That's, no. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're using a disc machine which cuts through the existing perennial clumps and so in its weight to so the perennials um, it'll be interesting to see how hardy they are on a test paddock we did last year we tried four or five hectares we were using time machine that time no notable negative impact on the perennial grass clumps that was at 300 mil spacing so now we've brought it down a bit closer we're using the discs instead yeah. it'll be interesting to see how that transitions but that should give a good feel of the biomass yeah. it's exciting
1: it is exciting Cool. Can't wait to see how those go. The other thing that we touched on during that pasture workshop was your involvement with the West Midlands Group's rotational grazing project. Could you tell us a little bit about that and why you got involved in the first place?
2: Yeah, was really excited to get involved. We've been rotationally grazing down here for for quite some time. In fact, more or less since we moved down in 2004. However, saw a really great opportunity to actually look at the benefits of increasing our stock density through the rotation process. So we've broken a 60 hectare paddock down into 15 hectare, 415 hectare paddock lots and are running the same sort of mob size Stepping them through the 15 hectare paddocks rather than just leaving them run, say, for eight days over the whole area. They do two days in each 15 hectare section so that the stock density is increased quite markedly. They're there for a shorter time, but still grazing and then moved on. And so each paddock then gets... A bit longer rest than what it would have had so it should reduce preferential grazing of plants and make it a more consistent or even grazing pressure yeah so that's that's what we've been we've been testing through and early indicators at this stage show that there's Definitely some good plant production value coming from that methodology. So it'll be interesting to see how that finishes out.
1: Yeah. And you've touched on running rotational grazing here anyway. How long have you guys been doing that?
2: Ultimately, now down here, we've been doing it for 15 years. But the thing I've found, I've certainly learned a lot more about rotational grazing, and I think actually the focus I try to take is rotational resting, because it's the rest period of the paddock that really determines how productive that paddock can be how long can you give those plants to recover from a grazing and, and to sort of produce their maximum as highly utilisable biomass mm. there's no point in letting everything go to seed all the time or, or go to a rank grass but we want to try and get as much growth out of that as we can and then get it back not right down but back to where there's still enough sort of leaf available to photosynthesize and, and and draw its energy
0: did you have to put many fences in in these places down here or
2: were there quite a few fences in already? There were quite a few fences in already down here. So over on Merigida the first property we bought, uh, a lot of Sassy planted over there and, and paddocks were paddocked off into roughly 45 hectares. And so even so, the previous management had sort of been a bit more on, on leaving, or set stocking. 50 head in a 50 hectare paddock, leave them there, job done. Whereas we took a much more, bringing large numbers of pastoral cattle in, we'd bring them in and we'd rotate them around, two weeks, move them, two weeks, move them. Probably still more time-based rotation rather than really measuring feed availability. That's come on later. I suppose going into it with that rest focus instead of necessarily a grazing focus just sort of changes the way you come at it a bit. The focus is on giving plants rest as opposed to grazing, then you you just it's a slightly different approach.
1: So the way you're looking at it is it's actually a way of optimizing timing for growth.
2: Absolutely, yeah. Yep. Yep. You're looking to optimise plant growth and subsequent to that, you will get animal Reduction. performance. Yep. Yeah. If your focus is wholly and solely on animal production, you're more likely to overdo pastures in the pursuit of animal production, whereas when the focus is on pasture production, the animal focus will just move with it.
0: Coming back to feed type, with the animals that you're bringing down from the station, are there certain feeds that they go on to better and perform better on?
2: Yeah, do they... Best? it's been interesting to see depending on the season of the station if the station's having a good season and there's lots of grass growth the animals transition onto grass down here quite well so uh, i'm been planting different varieties of grass down here including some buffalo grass which grows at the station and, and so i've also got that here then to be able to transition cattle onto they do seem to do quite well on that in harder years when there's less grass available at the station and they've been foraging more and browsing trees and shrubs they transition onto the tagasasti really well yeah. They, they transition mm-hmm. a lot quicker. I guess they've raised their eye line and they're looking at for shrubs, not necessarily scrounging for grass. That's been an interesting learning curve for you know, the animal psychology. What are the animals yeah. conditioned to? And so subsequently, what will they do? Yeah.
0: And so you think that's more of a behavioural thing than a gut thing? or? I think it's a bit of, a of both.
2: Of both? It, it's definitely definitely a bit of both because animals have got that instinct to seek what they need You know, when it comes to minerals, when it comes to... To energy when it comes to feed that they want. So they've got that ability to find what they need. And so if their gut has sort of been working on lots of high tannin, lignified, hardy plants, and then giving them a flush of lush green feed is just going to go through them like a dose of salt. Whereas Mm -hmm. when they've got that ability to go and find something that's a bit like for like, it won't be exactly the same, but at least it's a bit like for like, they tend to take that opportunity.
1: That's really interesting.
2: Animal nutrition, particularly ruminant nutrition, is, files this thick of, it's quite fascinating, that whole four-gut fermentation process.
1: And John Milton has talked to us about that before in workshops and on the podcast, but, yeah, it's just fascinating. And their behavioural impacts of the season. It's
2: getting that mindset change from, like, so I'm feeding a cow, well, you are feeding the cow, but in reality what you're actually feeding is the bugs in her gut.
1: Yeah.
2: That's what you're feeding. They feed the cow when you change your mindset a bit and bring it a bit more. Yeah,
1: rather than going hey, look at all this sick grass I've got for you and then wondering why they're not putting on weight like you would expect them to.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it takes it takes time to transition. The gut bugs come you yeah. Know, food and we found that with they, the tag yeah. Yeah, yeah, especially, you know, transitioning. One thing we, we have found very useful is combining cattle that have been on the feed source for a time with cattle that are new to it because what they do is actually exchange the gut bugs through saliva, through water troughs and the like. But they did research on this with camels and cattle, in cattle browse we'll more. The camel, like the gut fluid from camels, we'll decrease the time it took for animals to transition and start gaining weight yeah, on, wow. on different feed sources. So we use that theory here. We'll mix cattle that have been grazing tag with cattle that are fresh arrivals and yeah. they you share the gut bugs over the space of yeah. a week and all of a sudden they can start to really utilise that feed source. It's one of those things that gets overlooked a bit. We all know that mm. there's a transition time. What things can you do to, to decrease it?
0: What planning goes into running a rotational grazing system and how do you manage it?
2: A fair bit of planning goes into it. Planning, I should be honest, I guess is everything with a rotational grazing system, but it, it can be as complex or as simplistic as you make it. Depends on, on how you take your focus, like I said, on a rest-based focus, it is as simple as fencing off an area and removing stock from it from a period and measuring that grass return. And when that grass is returned to a suitable point, put stock back on it again, and then you're taken back off. It's essentially that simple. We're starting to use a lot of temporary fencing for doing our rotations because it's considerably cheaper however there's a time investment there then when you're moving fences around i guess really the the biggest thing is the water infrastructure is your water planning that becomes your biggest limiting factor how do i get water to these areas what's the, the best way to do it in the paddock that we are running the rotational grazing trial and we've actually just maintained a single water trough at one end of the paddock and we start the grazing there, and then we move the the fence up. So as they're moving up the paddock, they do still walk back to the water trough. However, because that palatable feed has moved further away, that stock moved with it to the feed, and then we go. And that that way, we were able to keep our investment costs in the water requirements down while still increasing the stock density of a rotational grazing system. So there's definitely ways around it. It's as easy or as complex as you choose to make it. Obviously, the more intensive you get, the more planning is required. But certainly, again, one of my biggest take-homes of it has been make sure you've got a pressure relief in the system somewhere. Keep a paddock available to be able to go, you know what, I've got to go away for a week so I can't do the rotations or we're going on holiday for three weeks have an area that you can put the stock into and they can sit there. Then when you're back or when things are able to, you know, whether it's seeding or harvest or whatever's going on and it's limiting your ability to rotate your stock, put them in the paddock when that's done, Pull them back out, get them back into your sort of rotations because then that paddock gets its rest anyway. Your relief paddock, it's getting its rest while they're back in their rotation and off you go. But having that relief trigger is very valuable.
1: Would you say that that is the kind of advice that you would give to anyone looking to get started or is there any other golden rules that other people could think about if they're going to have a crack?
2: Mm, Those would be, I think, my golden rules. Focus on rest so that your plants are, are recovering and responding. You know, understand that obviously there's times in the year where plants aren't going to grow much. There's no point in going, well, I've, I've just grazed this stubble off and I'm now going to leave it for six weeks and put them back in there because mm. it's stubble. Nothing's going to regrow. What they take out is, is what they've taken and what's left is all that will be left. However, so plan around that. You know, If it's a stubble paddock, you'll get one graze out of it and then don't touch it again. Um, focus on rest. Have a relief system in place. You've got to keep something in front of you, otherwise, you end up at a fire sale of poor cattle in a side yard, which nobody wants.
0: If you have to supplementary feed your stock, how do you decide what you're going to feed and how much? Is there any calculation or method behind that decision making process?
2: There are many calculations and many methods. I'm probably <laughs> less scientific. We do test our pastures, and I'm, I'm really looking to make that a more regular thing. At this stage, yeah. we've tested once a year. I'm looking now to try and get, I guess, like a two yearly test to get a better a feel on sort of what what's...
1: timings would those be?
2: Uh, so it'll ultimately, be a winter or sort of winter spring, yeah. and then say like a summer or autumn. So, where are yeah. the winter spring feeds firing? Where are the perennial summer feeds firing so, you know so we with. know what we're working with through through that time obviously keeping protein up to young stock growing stock weaners especially really important keeping energy up to lactating cows really important to be honest we try and keep our calving period aligned with as, as most people i'm sure do with the better pasture growth periods of the year so that while those cows are lactating they've got plenty of feed coming in that puts it in good order for joining and then sort of as the calves sort of get towards weaning your feed is probably more in decline so you take that pressure off those cows and then they can move through on the dry feed what we are looking to do in the past what i've done is taken out some loose lick minerals a mix to cattle and then as they measure how they sort of start coming onto it when they start demanding more then will increase. Yeah. What I'm looking to move to is actually to a free choice mineral system whereby they can actually select what it is that they're chasing, whether it be sulfur or phosphorus or copper or zinc specifically rather than a mix because what you can do is invest a lot of money in phosphorus or you, you know urea or proteins when really they're actually just chasing copper. But the only way to get it is by eating this lick and so all of a sudden you're putting out $1,000 a ton lick when they're only chasing the... You know,
0: that certain part of it, creatures. yeah.
2: so giving the animals the option to actually... How do you so give
1: they, them the option?
2: You put out individual mm-hmm. tubs and, and then everything.
1: And, look at what they're... And
2: measure. Just so it's not observe like observe what
1: send reading. them a text being like, hey, what are you guys chasing at the moment?
2: Yeah, yeah. Tail, <laughs> tails, like, <laughs> tails up for copper, tails out for calcium.
1: <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: One oh. blink is yes, two blinks is no. Um, I was like, no. you have a really
1: good relationship with
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not that good, no. just for clarity, not that good. Um, no, so it's just put it out in front of them and let them, yeah. let them tell me what, what they're chasing.
0: And they're is that pretty reliable? If you make them all readily available, yeah. they'll go for what they, they need. They
2: seek what they need. Years at the stations, we know we observed cattle licking random points in the road, actually digging out a pothole in the middle of the road where they're clearly seeking something. And it's not, mm. it's not a bull hole, but they can see where they've licked yeah. and licked and licked, where they've found a deposit of something that they've needed and gone after it.
0: In our BeefLinks backgrounding project, we looked a little bit at transitioning and what cattle were provided with when they first got to the backgrounding property. What are they provided with when they first come down?
2: when animals first arrive for, for background well. here we do put some minerals through the water system the Beachport liquid minerals the low stress mix which i find really good for transport pre-transport and post-transport it helps a lot it's an extra magnesium in it so it's got a bit of a calming effect animals are getting a base amount of mineral available so they'll get that on arrival and then depending on what time of the year it is as to how we're looking to get other minerals out to them. winter's hard for say loosely because of minerals getting wet I'd need to get on and build my little huts little for the shade, yeah, yeah. for a trailer system but I haven't got there yet. If we're going to use liquids we'll do that more during the winter and then we'll use the tend to use loose licks during the summer or the warmer, drier times. Water medication we we'll find actually really good and I know mean, people have got different takes on it, but it does ensure that every animal gets a chance at minerals. You don't get the bullying that can go on or the dominant cows or yeah. dominant cattle protecting mm-hmm. the lick and not letting others into it, it does away with that. The other thing, yeah, because animal psychology is just quite an in-depth even though you sort of might think, oh, well, when that animal has to leave, it's got to go for water Surely the other animal will get to go. But if they've been constantly hammered every time they approach the lick feeder, even if there's no other animals around, they won't go near it.
1: Receive pressure. Yeah. Like in free. But
2: Yep, absolutely, absolutely. I
1: was like, "Look at this beefling symphony, Black blacking footy." No,
2: absolutely. There's it's been a whole bunch of experiments done on just what that pressure will do even if things don't necessarily understand why they're doing it, mm. if, it if it's the yeah. norm that's what they do
1: you've <laughs> talked about a few of them but if you could just summarize what constraints are you guys dealing with here and do you have any plans of overcoming them
2: yes two major constraints that we're dealing with one is longer term one is very current the longer term constraint we've got here is non-wetting soil we plan this year to start a plaza planning program and looked with a view to ameliorating that soil once off heavy tillage to break the non-wetting get the plant re-establishment over the top and then hopefully manage that non-wetting going forward through plant diversity the shorter term constraint is stock availability just come out of a really hard couple of years in parts of the north not all but certainly in parts so stock numbers are down the eastern states have just had a colossal season across many parts and a huge number of stock have left the state going east so stock availability is going to be our biggest short-term constraint this year. We de-stocked Glen in 2020, and prior to that, we'd reduced greatly our stock numbers. So we won't have a lot of our own stock to run through the farm this year. And so I guess now mm-hmm. utilizing the contacts and, and previous backgrounding and adjustment work that we've done and created those relationships with other people and other organizations to hopefully be able to source stock from there this year to be mm-hmm. able to utilize the feed that we have. As we get the perennial base better developed. I'd certainly hope that we'd be looking to be able to take the opportunities all through the year. The reality is right now that November is just is too late. Typically the winter pasture production system down here, you're really looking at mid late September as being the close date for taking in new stock because end of November is typically when I'd be calling my end date for a lot of backgrounding and adjustment stock. So that however, like I say, if more summer annuals are going in or perennials come on or if we get a really strong spring and we just haven't had a strong spring for the last couple of years so it's been quite important to maintain that critical date end of november get the pressure off keep the feed in front of you because you're sort of going through a rationing stage there's three stages of grass growth the risk there say with your winter-based feeds and like is that if it does rain that nutrient will wash out so it's, 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 high, it's, it's a balancing act but doable if there's people are willing to kind of, I guess, commit and go with.
0: Okay, to wrap things up, what do you love most about your job?
2: I love that every day is different. I like that a lot. I I really enjoy trying things. I enjoy the trial and error nature of of breeding stock and genetics and seeing how genetics work through generations. I enjoy pasture development, what works, what doesn't work, why did it work, how did it work, And and I love seeing the results of that. But I guess tying in with that is that I like, I really love looking after a patch of dirt and using that to feed the world. That's that grassroots, ground up, you know, our responsibility is for this patch that we've taken on. And in so doing that, we feed part of the world's population. The um, land is not inherited from our forebears. It's a loan from our children. And that's sort of how we give it. It's uh, a
1: really good way of looking at that's it. That's why, yeah, Because yeah. it completely transforms the way that you would approach the intensity of production.
2: It keeps a long-term focus on things. That whole concept of the fact that whilst, yes, it, this land does move along in generation, our responsibility is not necessarily to those who came before us mm. Um But it really is to those who come after us, that those who came before us did their bit and and they passed it on to us. Now, whether that's through inheritance or whether it's through purchase, or it doesn't mean that I've got to have bought the land off my parents or grandparents or any plot of land. But the responsibility is for the next user of that land. Our responsibility is to look after it and hopefully leave it in a better state than maybe what we found it in. So that the next generation then have got that opportunity to keep doing the same.
1: I like that. Yeah, me too. I like that a lot. Thanks for coming on to talk to us about how you feed budget and processes that you put into your management here today, Murray. And thanks to you for coming on as well, Erin. It was great having you both.
2: Great, thanks very much.
1: Yeah, it's been really interesting. Thank you. That brings us to the end of this episode.
0: Thanks to Murray for being so generous with his time and knowledge. The best way to receive our updates and stay in the loop with the latest in local research and results is by becoming a West Midlands Group member. Our members are an essential part of why we do what we do and we pride ourselves on ensuring members like you receive relevant, innovative information. You'll save hours of your valuable time with easy access to the most relevant and up-to-date information you really need. Our membership gets you early access to our workshops, free or discounted entry for up to three farm business members to our major events, exclusive access to our member-only publications like our technical newsletter, The West Midlands Group Quarterly. For more info, visit our website where you can sign up anytime. I'd like to thank our sponsors and members, without whom this would not be possible. See you next time for some more Paddock Chat. Local knowledge from a paddock near